0: Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. Would you, uh, would you join me in prayer here as we, as we jump in the word this morning? God, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, your kindness that leads us to change our mind. Your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. God, thank you for the opportunity this morning to look at your word and to see what you are saying. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that can, can receive, Lord. Thank you, Father. And so I bless this time today that Jesus would be glorified through it. In your precious name, amen. Uh, anybody see the movie Up? Is that a familiar movie to people? It was uh, like a Pixar movie. It was a cartoon. I, I have eight kids. I've seen every cartoon, you know. <laughs> Multiple times, probably. I probably can quote you lines out of many, many movies. Uh, there are definitely better ones than others. Up was a pretty good one. But there's this there's this talking dog in it named Doug. Anybody remember Doug? I, I didn't get pictures. Maybe we were for a second service, but or a little video clip or something. But but the the whole, the concept of the movie, you know, on an adventure, life. The it's a, it's a the story itself is wonderful. But the 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 thing that I got enraptured by, is this the attention or deficit thereof of the dog, Doug. Anytime Doug sees a squirrel, I don't know if your dog's like this, I have a dog like this, a scent of an animal, boom, it points. It doesn't hunt, it's scared of everything that moves, but but it points. And it's like if if it sees a squirrel, squirrel! I mean, and quite literally in the movie, that's what happens is he screams out, squirrel, and then he points. It doesn't matter what's happening around him. And and when when that thing gets seen, when it gets recognized, instant recognition and instant shifting of attention to see that thing. My kids uh, play a game in the car, uh, you know, growing up, it was slug bugs. Anybody remember slug bugs? How many have no idea what a slug bug is? Just raise your hand wave Yeah, oh my. I have a headache. Just, it's just too early. <laughs> so a slug bug was you saw a Volkswagen Beetle and you yelled out slug bug and then you got to punch whoever was next to you. I think it was a sibling's way, like brother and sister's way of having an excuse to punch each other in a legal manner, you know? And our house, it is that. Like, my wife will rear back. Of course, I can't hit her, but she doesn't mind hitting me. That's for dang sure. Slug bug, pow. Like, wow, that was the argument the other day, wasn't it? Right there. My kids do that with Teslas right now. <laughs> Tesla, I win. That's the game. And they I don't know, every Tesla they see, right? I didn't notice how many Teslas are on the road until my kids start pointing them out. Have you ever have you ever realized that you go to buy a car and you think, "Oh, I want I don't know, a blue one or a red one or whatever the thing is that and, and, and once you start looking at that vehicle, suddenly you start noticing the color is everywhere. You thought it was unique. No, there's five colors of cars. <laughs> like, that's it. There's five colors of cars. Like, and, and you see it, and you go, that one is the one I want because it's unique, it stands out, it's whatever. And then as you're driving down the road, after that point, after you've you noticed them everywhere, your attention gets drawn to the thing that you fixated on, and suddenly you recognize it. You see it. Every time you see that thing, now it goes off in your mind as something worth noting, and before you weren't paying attention to it at all. Anybody alive this morning? This happened, This is a real experience. Hey, we're not even the heavy stuff. I can feel you guys ducking and covering already, <laughs> like. <laughs> Attention is a funny thing, because whatever you focus on, whatever you give your attention to, that is the thing you begin to notice, you begin to fixate on, you begin to see everywhere. If you focus on a specific attribute of somebody, that's all you begin to see. This happens in marriage, marriage counseling. Uh, as somebody who's walked with many people to help try to restore marriages and just help people to get healthy in the relationship, so often they get fixated on an attribute. It's like, I didn't notice this about them before. They've changed. No, they haven't. They're the exact same person you married 20 years ago. Same person. It's just that you didn't fixate on that thing before. Now it's all you see. Well, why? Because that's what you're looking at. It's what you're looking for. God, in his infinite wisdom, began coaching humanity to focus on the testimony. In his infinite wisdom, as he's discipling his people, every time something good happens, he would tell them, pile up rocks, make a standing stone, take a pillar of a stone and stand it on its end, so that when passers-by walk by that thing, or that heap of stones... Kids ask parents, what happened here? Because every time you see a standing stone, there's a story attached to it. And in Israel, at least, all of those standing stones represented good things. They represented the testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness in their nation. Today, we memorialize that which is painful and bad. We focus in on those things. We celebrate those things. You wouldn't call it a celebration, but the country unites around bad news. (laughs) Bad news. It's the mantra of our nation, right? This is what we focus in on. It's what the world tends to do. But God, from from the beginning, has been telling his people, don't look at things below. Don't look at earthly patterns. Don't look to see what's broken. Fix your eyes on things above. This is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 13. Squirrel! <laughs> Colossians 3, verses 1 through 13. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above. This is where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So much there to unpack, but I got to keep going. Don't distract me. Therefore, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. It's because of these things that the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living among them. But now put them aside. Put all rank, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self in its evil practices and you've put on the new self. Everyone say new self. new self. Who's being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him? A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian. I don't know what that word is. Scythian. Yeah, good try, Akil. Good job slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgiving each other, and whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, Also should you. That was a big mouthful there. But basically, when you pull this thing back, there are some principles here that are worth noting. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. And when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were put, you were unified into his death. If you've never been baptized, you should be. Your old nature needs to be put in the grave. It's a supernatural experience. It is not just a symbol. Stop just saying that. God doesn't require symbols. He requires prophetic acts. You're baptized. I'm pointing over there because that's where we have baptisms normally. When you're put into the water, you're put into Jesus' death, you're baptized, you're unified with his death. You come out of the water and your old sinful nature is left behind. It got put in the grave with Jesus. You were united with his death. And since you have died to your old self, and when you come out of the water, you are coming out in the likeness of his resurrection, Romans 6 says. And you are seated above in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You and Jesus have become one. We are the bride, he is the bridegroom. We've become one, just the way a husband and wife do. A one. And since we are unified with him and seated in heavenly places, let's fix our thoughts on the things that Jesus is fixing his thoughts on. Let's fix our thoughts on things above, not on, let me list them out again, right? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. What are we giving attention to? Squirrel! What are we focusing on? What have you signaled off on that triggers you to see it and go, oh, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Oh, there's something wrong. Immorality, impurity. Oh. (laughs) Greed. Yeah. Everywhere. Greed. It's idolatry. The scripture says this is the stuff that brings consequences. Why would we fix our eyes on stuff that brings consequences? Brings pain, injury. Even in the best of circumstances, y'all, when you focus on those things for prayer, for tattling on each other, right? For whatever, the, the version or reality, or we can whitewash it where we're like, yeah, it's we need to talk about this. But when we focus on these things, you become like what you focus on. I'll never be like him. I'll never be like him. I'll never be like him. And there you are doing the very same things that your dad or your mom did. How'd you get there? Because you were focusing on what you're not going to be like. The scripture coaches us. It says, fix your eyes on things above. Become like that. How do you do that? The solution is so simple. It is to focus on that which is good, right, perfect, and pure. Focus. Focus. If we're going to scream out, squirrel, let's do it for the goodness of God. Where's the signpost that tells you what time in history it is? The sign of our times. Oh, it's certainly the last days. Why? Because everywhere we look, we're seeing darkness. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's the sign of the times. I think that's the sign of you're looking in the wrong direction. You good? You doing all right? Here we go. What's the stuff that we're supposed to focus on? You have a new nature. A new nature. And so you got to learn how to come into alignment with that new nature. And as much as I think you are brilliant, you don't know everything. You get to learn. Man, you would never come into a new job and go, I know everything. You don't need to correct me. Why? Because that would be silly. There is no distinction, the Lord says, between race or status in life. No distinction in the kingdom between race or status in life. Poor man, rich man. Black, white, name your color, name your ethnicity. No distinction in the kingdom. But what is our world focusing on? What's our world focusing on? Y'all, we have teed off on pain. We're, We're focusing on pain. This is the world's way of doing things, not the kingdom way. The world doesn't know how to get itself out of pain, so it's going to keep telling stories of pain. It's going to set up pillars that are monuments to pain. But that's not how the kingdom moves forward. That's not how you and I move forward. That's not how we set an example, raise up a standard, and point to Jesus. How we do it is we focus on what's right and good. So if you're going to pick an issue, let's talk about the goodness of God for a moment. Amen? Mm. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, (laughs) That's a great one, isn't it? Whoever has a complaint, just forgive them. But you don't know it's injustice. Suck it up. Did you see how many times Jesus got beaten? What are we complaining about? Your pain's real, yes. God bless you. Bless your heart. Now, choose. To make the powerful choice. Choose. You can do it. What sign are you looking for? Where's your squirrel? What's the thing you get triggered by? I want to talk about something specific this morning. This is what Jesus pointed to. This is Matthew 7. And he was so crystal clear, but it seems to be that this thing just creeps into our consciousness and we get stuck here, and I, I, want, I want you to see it, just as clear as I can share it this morning. This is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. Judged. The standard of measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's an incredible statement. We'll unpack that in a moment because it's totally worth unpacking. Our judgment is creating the judgment we live under. Your judgment calls are building your prison. The way you judge is what is boxing your life in and creating your restraint. Why do we look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? I just imagine I have like two people having this conversation, right? And one guy's like, I have something in my contact. And the other guy's like, let me get it for you. He's got like this log in his eye. He's like whacking him upside the head as he's trying to remove the speck out of his eye. You know, this scripture here, it says, Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye, remove the log out of your own eye first. The word means it's part of the other. In other words, the speck is made out of the same material that the log is. The speck is the same problem that you're experiencing. The log is the same judgmental issue that the speck is. Really clear, okay? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't see the log? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out, whack? But behold, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite. First, first. Everyone say first. First, take the log out of your eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's a process. It's beautiful. The first issue. Jesus is telling us you're going to be aware of sin. (laughs) You're going to be aware of people's issues. But the reason you're going to be aware of it is because they're the things that bother you. You're aware of it because it's the stuff that rubs you the wrong way, okay? The way you judge people is the paradigm in which you are seeing life. So, if you are judging somebody's life and the way that they behave, okay, you're going, I don't like that. First of all, the reason why it feels restrictive, restraining, the reason why it's... Your thought process about what is right and wrong, what you like and don't like, all those preferences are the reason why you're judging. I know you're saying, nope, it's God. God judges that. Okay, let's step back just a second and discuss how Jesus paid for the sins of the world. Okay? How Jesus paid for the sins of the world and how the sin of damnation is one of unbelief towards what Christ has done, not whatever your pet peeve is. So it's our considerations, it's the things we like, it's the things we don't like, our judgments towards others. It's our paradigm. And the reason why I see the speck of judgment, I don't like this about you, the reason I see it in you is because... It's in me. I am rubbed by your whatever issue that is because I feel condemned in my own issue. I'm pointing out all the bad fathers. Why? Because I myself feel like a bad father. This is, this is the psychology of it. Jesus is brilliant, by the way. He goes, hey, your issues are your issues. They're not actually real. They're the things you don't like. And the way that you judge is creating the paradigm in which you are imprisoned by. So, for instance, driving. Everybody likes driving, right? Okay, here we go, driving. I, there are certain types of drivers. Mm, Lord help me. Certain types of drivers that bug me. They just bug me, they rub me the wrong way. I look at them and go, you're so inconsiderate, I cannot believe that you would choose to drive slow in the fast lane. (laughs) Don't you know that that's a passing lane? Do you know what the word passing means? And so there's someone driving slow in the passing lane and I'm annoyed by it, okay? Maybe I have the reasons to be annoyed by it. Maybe I'm late. Maybe it's causing issues in my life because I'm, you know, whatever. There's all those things that are circumstances, but I'm annoyed by it. I don't like it, so I'm judging them. You're a bad driver. That bad driver syndrome, I'm blaming, I don't like, I'm annoyed by. My judgment is being cast upon them, but what I don't realize is that that form of judgment has created the paradigm, my my set of circumstances that I judge my own driving by. My judgments towards others have created the reality that I'm stuck in. So I don't like their driving, but is there ever a time when maybe I get stuck going slower than I should be and I wasn't paying attention and yeah, yeah. Can I tell you that that's the moment in the car where my kids are like, hey, dad, (laughs) you're doing the very thing you don't like. But it doesn't have to come from external forces. It doesn't have to, because I am condemned within myself because of the standard I created with my own judgments. It created the reality that I'm stuck in. Are you following? Okay. (laughs) I can see some. There's smoke coming out of ears right now. You're trying to work it out. That's good. Keep going. You're doing it. Doing great. Judgment begets judgment. But more than that, by me judging others, I have now created the reality that I live within. Because in my own mind, I am my worst critic. The things that I care about and am passionate about, I try to enforce on other people. Judgment. I try to enforce. But as I enforce it on other people, I'm also expressing what has imprisoned me. So if I put pressure on you to perform, it's because I feel pressure to perform. If I put pressure on you to, you know, I'll just use my pick on my own family and life. Uh, You know, if I put pressure on my wife to make doctor's appointments and to not forget these things, why am I doing that? Because I feel pressure to make sure that we have made doctor appointments. And she doesn't feel that pressure. It's my judgment that created that reality and I live within the pain of it. Y'all, this experience... Jesus is referring not to the law, not to pharisaical rule and how we have to live up to God's holy standard. No, no, that's a bunch of religious baloney. That isn't this. This is Jesus is saying, listen, your judgment towards each other has created a type of torment in your life that you don't have to live under because God doesn't think of you this way. You don't have to live under this. It was for freedom that he set you free. You're not stuck under this. You should let your, cut yourself some slack. If you're, all, if you're all tense and tormented by a circumstance because people are making you do, no, y'all, that's your circumstance. That's your life experience. And the reason you feel that is because you're unwilling to let it go and change. We have been given unlimited access to a patient father who has heaped grace on us. Cut yourself some slack. And also, by cutting yourself some slack, you'll ease up on the people around you. It's amazing. They'll like you better, by the way. All right, go ahead. Just elbow your neighbor and go, that's a good idea. I think I should do that. Don't tell them that they should do that, okay? I think I should do that. I think he's talking to me this morning. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because if you're a judgmental person, you're also a tormented person. You're tormented. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. We can have this argument all day. Because you are bothered by all the things that people don't do with the way that you want them to be done. It's tormenting you. Jesus gives us two circumstances in which this takes place. The first one is this. If you see the speck in your brother's eye, know that it's in your life. Know that it's you that's causing this. You see the speck. You see an issue that's not really an issue. Why? Because you framed your life with these logs. Okay? Okay. You're aware of it in people because it's the thing that rules you, not because it's really something wrong in them. Okay, so the reason you see it, everyone repeat after me, the reason I see, (laughs) you're afraid aren't you right now, that's okay. The reason I see issues is because those issues are actually in me. I heard people point, actually, in you. (laughs) His prescription was this. So first, take the log out of your eye. Hey, first, undo the judgment. Just undo your judgments. Stop judging. And this won't be a problem anymore. You won't be bothered by this stuff. If you just stop judging, it's actually quite easy. Okay? First, take the log out of your eye. If you take the log out of your eye, what that means is that you're processed through the stuff that bothers you and annoys you about other people. You've processed it. You've gone through it. It might be actual sin. Okay, awesome. You're dealing with it before God. Understand then the conviction that you're experiencing is for you, not for them. And so you go through a process of healing and restoration. You let it go. All that stuff that happens in you and now you can talk honestly up to your friend or whoever you've pointed out the issue with because you dealt with it. It's an amazing thing. When you get healed of something, you are still sensitive to its reality. I, I, I talked with, uh, with people who have gone through recovery, addiction recovery. And a, an addict knows an addict. We smell you a mile away. We know. And we also know the pain you have been through and the torment you live under. We know it. And so when we bump into you, we can identify, we can clarify, we can help, we can give strong aid, we can cheer you, we can do all sorts of things. But the only person that knows how to help that person get free is someone who has gone through it and sees clearly. They've been delivered of it. Jesus took them through the process, and so they can help others to go through the process. And so the invitation is this. If you see the speck in your brother's eye, go through a process. Either you're sensitive to it because you already went through it, or it's revelation to you, and it's an opportunity for you to see yourself more accurately. Thanks. Amen. (laughs) Don't judge. You won't be judged. He didn't say get better at judging. Become more accurate at judging. He didn't say specialize in this form of judgment so that you can judge better. That's not what he said. Can I ask a question that I think is revealing? It's okay, Josiah. The pain I'm causing you right now. Just kidding. No, just, <laughs> <laughs> Josiah just got married this last weekend. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Sorry. Can I ask you something? I wonder how much America is struggling with mental health issues because. We modeled and made okay the atmosphere of judgment in the last handful of years. From the top, we modeled this, and we said it's okay. The church of Jesus Christ sets the standard at which the world has as their standard. And so if the church allows judgmental thinking into the camp, and we say it's okay, guess what happens to the world? Torment comes from behaving like this. So I kind of wonder if the torment that we're experiencing in all the mental health stuff that's coming, if we need deliverance from it because we partnered with judgment. Matthew 18, it's a great passage. Jesus explains all this. And you're going to see it in a different way today because of how we're talking right now. You'll see this passage totally different. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, an unlimited version. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared. And here's the parable. Okay, here's the parable. It can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. He began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, that's a lot of cha-ching. Okay, a lot of cha-ching. 10,000 talents is like a national budget type money. This is so much money. 10,000 talents. That slave was brought to him because he owed this much. He did not have the means to repay, and the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had as repayment. Whew. The slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him and said, have patience with me. I'll repay you everything. The Lord of that slave felt compassion. Everyone say compassion. And he released him and forgave him his debt. That means he does not owe money anymore. It's done. It's been forgiven. He forgave him his debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. That's three months wages. So it's not nothing. It's something. But in comparison to what the other slave owed, it's just not even comparison. He owed him 100 denarii. He seized him. He began to choke him. He said, pay back what you owe. So the slave fell to the ground, and he began to plead with him and said, have patience with me. I'll repay you. But he was unwilling. And he went, and he threw him in prison until he should pay back all that he owed. So then the fellow slaves saw what happened. They were deeply grieved, and they came and they reported it to the Lord, the boss, the big boss man. Summoning him, the boss said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? His Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers, or torment, until he should repay all that was owed. Then Jesus said, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. The slave, first guy, 10,000 talent guy, is forgiven. He's set free. He doesn't owe a debt anymore. That's amazing. Woo! Hit the lotto, man. Right? How happy you think he is? Super happy. However, he goes and he begins to judge his fellow slave who owed him money. Okay? His standard, he's annoyed. You owe me three months' wages. He's not just annoyed, he's angry. He's choking him out. But instead, listen to this. This is what you got to catch. Instead of the slave changing his own version of standard to match the boss's standard, the new standard of mercy that the boss set, instead he holds his own standard and chooses not to forgive the other slave the small debt. He is annoyed, and he holds his debt, and does not adjust how he does life according to how the boss treated him. But instead, his judgment became the means that he is judged by. The standard which he used becomes the standard used against him. And it says then that the big boss man says, Because you didn't adjust your standard to meet mine of mercy, I now hand you over to torment until you pay back all that's owed. What is owed? Is it the money that was forgiven? No. What is owed? It's the debt of mercy. He has to change how he does life to match the big boss's way. The boss isn't changing. When you get a new job, you have to adjust your way of thinking to match theirs. Your standard is supposed to adjust. And so when Jesus forgives us of our debt, then we too now must adjust our standard of how we treat other people. We cannot focus on things below. Squirrel! We can't do that. Your squirrel cannot be the injustice you feel. I'm sorry. Your injustice is not the measurement. The standard of judgment held by the slave becomes the standard measured against him until, until what? Until he changes his standard to match the big bosses. That's the measuring stick. So as soon as the Christian chooses to have mercy, they'll stop having deliverance issues. Let me be very clear. I heard somebody, it was like a rumor going around, Pastor Jamie doesn't believe in deliverance ministry. Oh my gosh, I perform deliverance ministry all the time. All the time. You kidding me? We we move in deliverance all the time. Let Let me hear this very clearly. Believers, however, have been liberated by the covenant in Christ. And the devil has no access to your life unless you give it to him. The victory of Christ is final. You cannot adjust your way of thinking. You can't think according to your circumstances and say that Jesus was somehow not fulfilling his obligation. He paid for it all. It's done. It's dealt with. You have been set free from all forms of access of demons to your life. Amen. It is final. I imagine we're going to erupt in praise for eternity. So... That, the golf clap doesn't measure how much that actually is a happy moment there. <laughs> but the Lord is very clear about this issue. He says that we have to adjust our standards to meet his. That he doesn't dumb it down because we don't like something. Our job is to hold mercy as the standard. Mercy. We have to let go of stuff. You can't hold on to your injustice. You can't. You have to give it to Jesus. The reason why a Christian ends up with torment is because they're not allowing the standard of their life to match the Lord's. That's how a Christian ends up with a demon. Torment comes into a life simply because they're unwilling to change how they are handling all the annoyances of life. You have built your own prison through your judgments. Just let them go and be free. Amen. When we have to perform deliverance ministry, especially on a Christian, if I got a demand through authority that this thing let you go, if the door is still open, it comes back. So... I can force through authority, demanding torment to lift, and you'll feel temporary relief, which is what I think we're seeing in, like, conferences and stuff. But the reality is, is that unless you go through actually letting these things go, that stuff, torment has been invited, y'all. Just got to let it go. Amen. You're all looking kind of done. I'm not sure how far I can take this here. You're, the, the opportunity here uh, to me is just kind of pretty straightforward here. I'll, I'll land the plane. You got this, okay? The opportunity for me is pretty straightforward. I get moved and annoyed by things. It happens. Like, it's impossible for, like, issues not to arise. You're going to be annoyed by stuff, Okay? But in that process, we have some choices. If I come to recognize someone else's sin, squirrel, there it is. Okay, I see your issue. If I focus on that, not on things above, if I focus on what's wrong, I draw attention to what's wrong, judgment will be our our interaction. However, if I, through prophetic lens, focus on what God has said about you, and I relate to you according to what God has said about you, I set a new standard, and I begin to call you higher. And I am able, through mercy, to ignore, to have forbearance. I pat you on the head and go, man, it's okay. I know you're a mess right now, but we'll change. We'll get there. It's going to be awesome. This isn't who you are. You shouldn't behave like this. That's who God says you are. Let's go there. Yeah? So my decision is if I'm going to partner with judgment and injustice and focus on what's wrong, or if I'm going to focus on what God's doing and what's right and all these things. Do do I want to tell all our politicians what's wrong with them, or could I point to the justice system of heaven and call them higher? Because how I relate to them is determining how they will relate to me. If the church judges the world, then what do you think the world's doing towards the church? We we built our own prison of judgment. If, however, in mercy we set a new standard and we tell the world that Jesus came to redeem, there's hope. I hope you're hearing this this morning. You can turn your family around. Just stop looking at the junk. You can turn your marriage around. Start start reminding yourself of all the amazing qualities that person held at the very beginning, because that's all you could see. You had the la la eyes they're perfect in all their ways. Oh, la, 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 right? You were in la, la, love, right? You couldn't see the junk. 20 years in, can you see the junk now? Probably. Unless you've chose, unless you chose to set your eyes on things above. All right, would you jump to your feet today? Yeah, there you go. Put a hand on your own heart and listen to these words. This is 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. I think I got it. Yes. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, like they know what he looked like. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How did he do that? By not counting their trespasses against them. He committed to us this word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ and through, though God, we're making an appeal through us we are begging the world, be reconciled to God. And how do we do that? By not counting their trespasses against them. Ignore the bad, focus on the good, call them higher. And you'll watch as the Lord transforms lives. You don't need to dumb down your standard of holiness. Awesome. Live. Shine, stop focusing on what's wrong, start focusing on what's right and good, amen? Father, grant us grace to fulfill this word of prophecy from Paul to us. Grant us grace to treat others in this way, that the holy standard could be lifted up and justice could be served, but in a way, Lord Jesus, that you get everything you paid for That torment no longer touches the church because we have refused to hold judgment in our hand, but instead are focusing on what your glory is doing in the earth. I thank you for these things. God, I bless your people today. I bless your people today. Lord, call them higher. Give them vision to see who they are in heavenly places, who you made them to be. God, give them vision to see who you've called our city to be, who you've called our region to be, what you've called our state to be, or what you've called our nation to be. God, give us vision to see what you're doing in our nation, Lord, that we might hold to that which is good. Hold up the standard, decree the victory of Jesus. I thank you for these things, and I bless you today, church. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he be gracious to you. May he grant you peace and shalom in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody who dared to agree with that said, amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on the house church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at ITheHouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.